0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, Member FDSE.
1: Hello, Husker fans! Welcome to episode 185 of the Husker Football Fan Podcast. I'm Mike Harvat, and I'm Justin Swanson. Today, we talk to Mike Carmen, Purdue sports reporter at the Journal and Courier in West Lafayette, Indiana. And stay tuned to the end to hear if you made it on the hashtag spicy list. You can find us on the
0: web at huskerpod.com or by searching Husker Football Fan Podcast on Facebook. You can also connect with us on Twitter by following at huskerpod or email us at huskerpod at gmail.com. This episode's brought to you by Central Nebraska Buffalo. Check out their
1: website for the latest deals. That's cnbuffalo.com. Also brought to you by Monty Rohde with Pinnacle Realty in Lincoln. Looking to buy or sell a home in Lincoln or know someone who does? Hit up Monty at 402-770-3356. Go Go Justin, this this hashtag spicy thing is reminding me of those old Taco Bell Zesty Chicken Bowl commercials, you remember those? Zesty. 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 Zesty.
0: Zesty. Zesty.
1: That's there. That's there.
0: So this is the fourth time we've talked to Mike Carmen for this podcast.
1: It is! That's awesome. A, that, uh, you know, he still wants to associate with us after intros like the one we just had. <laughs> um, but also, it's it's great to kind of have that line of communication over several years because, you know, now we have... History not only with Purdue the team, but you know, kind of chewing the fat with somebody who has an inside look into the goings on all the way out there.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, so here's a, an example of that. Two years, I mentioned this in a conversation. Two years ago, he mentioned like Rondale Moore. He might be someone to keep an eye on. I think he's going to be good. And Rondell Rondale Moore had this breakout season, including the upset of Ohio State, and everybody knows Rondale Moore. And last year, he said. Uh, David Bell, he he could be a breakout player, and uh, lo and behold, he was. So I asked him, "Who is the next Rondell Moore, or
1: David Bell?" Mm. You know what I like about that? What? Uh, it's he's got the word Bell in his name, like Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> Get a
0: life. I I will say before before you run it that. Uh, I recorded this conversation before talking to the Eyes on Big guys, mm. so there is no question from them in it. Every other, big It's the first game of the season. I just I had to get it done. So, sure, sure. Um, so this, uh, this will be the only Big Ten game that doesn't have that question.
1: Well, the good news is, like you said, this is the fourth time we've talked to Carmen. We know he's a very knowledgeable guy, so uh, I'm sure that the conversation does not suffer in the slightest. Let's go. Let's roll it. All right. <laughs>
0: We are really excited to welcome Mike Carmen back to the show. Mike covers Purdue sports for the Journal and Career in West Lafayette. And uh, Mike, it's it's great to talk to you again.
2: Well, it's uh, great for you to reach out, and it's great to uh, talk some football since uh, we haven't had really football to talk
0: about. I I agree, hundred percent. It's really refreshing to do these conversations, and I know I'm sure people are just starved to hear legit football stuff so so let's uh let's start by looking at the 2019 season which was depressing for both um purdue and nebraska fans and i think i was looking back at the schedule from last year i think it's got to be extra depressing when uh the highlight of purdue's season last year might have been beating nebraska five and seven nebraska that's
2: uh that's probably true yeah I, i think that was a uh uh, significant win for Purdue uh, over Nebraska, and you know Purdue's in a place in its program, and will always kind of be in a place in its program where, if you beat a name brand name in college football like Nebraska is, that's going to to mean to mean a lot more. Now you're not beating the tradition of Nebraska; you're, you're beating the current team, and, but still, <laughs> well but still, but still, you're beating you're beating a brand name, and that's something that. Purdue can, um, you know, hang its hat on a little bit, and you know they had to do it in kind of unique and strange circumstances, where their their starting quarterback, who had replaced another quarterback who got injured, broke his ankle. Then you have a a former walk on quarterback come in and lead a game winning drive uh, to win the game. So there were, there were a lot of subplots to that game from the Purdue uh, standpoint. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think that was. Is that the first game? Uh, uh, Martinez came back uh, and played, I think. Uh, is that right?
0: You know, I, now I have to pull up Nebraska's schedule and remember. I kind of have a lot of last season blocked off because there's only so right. much that. But anyway, there, there were a lot of subplots to that, yeah. that game on both sides, uh, and
2: and then when you got into the game, even more subplots developed, uh, where it just it ended up where Purdue won on a you know. Uh, an end around by, you know, David Bell, who became the, the Big Ten Freshman of the Year uh, and a, an a all-league receiver on a play the quarterback had not physically repped during the week because he was the backup and there just wasn't enough time for him to, to go through that play physically, but mentally he had, had gone through the play. So, again, just a lot of different things came out of that game from the Purdue side that... Um, Kind of made them feel good, and it kept it kept Slim Bowl hopes alive for them at, at that point in early
0: November. Well, so looking looking here at the schedule, you're right that was Martinez's first full game back, and uh, kind of speaks to how how much the Huskers struggled that he was the leading rusher that game with 58 yards the following week dedrick mills ran for 188 against wisconsin so it it was such a weird game for husker fans we kept waiting for them to to figure it out i mean i mean no offense to purdue but gosh i think they had two or three win two wins coming into that game uh this is in the last quarter of the season and um or last third of the season and uh and if we win that game just knowing how the rest of the season uh, played out, losing to Wisconsin, winning at Maryland, losing to Iowa, we would have gone to a bowl. So uh, I think that November second really was a. It was kind of a turning point. We th- we thought we really needed that game. So um, yeah, yeah, and I, I think I think Nebraska fans thought that
2: that would that would be the win that as you got into the last quarter of the season, you know, that would be kind of the, the win that would help them get to a bowl game because I think they were counting on beating Maryland. Yeah. You know, the Wisconsin game was probably not a game. They were probably not going to win. And then you have the the last matchup with Iowa, which is always a a toss up regardless of the teams right right now. But I I think, I think Nebraska football team and football program and fans were counting on the win at Purdue to, um, give them a little bit more breathing room going into those the, the final weeks of the season.
0: So, so we lost, we didn't go to the bowl. Uh you guys or not you guys, the uh, the Boilermakers were ultimately uh what 4 and 8 and also did not go to a bowl. Had a disappointing double overtime loss to Indiana to end the season. Um so so we that was season 3 for Jeff Brom. if I'm is that right? That's correct. How, I mean, is that, was that, was this kind of record a big disappointment? Uh, how, how does this, how, how does the Purdue fan base feel coming into season four, um, just with how things are going?
2: Well, when you really have to look at season three, and, you know, I, I'm always a believer, it's like you, you can always just look at the record and say, um, Oh, four and eight—that that was really bad. And based on the first two years of Jeff Brom's tenure, yes, it was a step down. But you ha- I think you got to dig—you got to dig, you gotta dig uh, a little bit deeper into Purdue season and realize that um, they, they lost their starting quarterback Elijah Sindelar um, after two games. He suffered a concussion at the end of the Vanderbilt game, so he didn't play against TCU. Uh, he came back against Minnesota. And in the first half, um, suffered a uh, a broken clavicle. Uh, but also on the same play, Rond- Rondell Moore, the talented wide receiver, blew out his hamstring. So, produce top two offensive weapons you no longer had for the rest of the year. So, and then you're playing with an inexperienced quarterback and, and Jack Plummer who. who got better as the year go on, went on but you're also you're taking away your most valuable player, your most valuable weapon on the offensive end in Rondell Moore and they just seem to have a rash of injuries and, and you go back even farther. Marcus Bailey, who was taken in the seventh round of the most recent NFL draft by Cincinnati uh, suffered a torn ACL going into the third game of the year. So as Purdue got into the month of October, it didn't have Marcus Bailey, who's their defensive leader, It didn't have Elijah Cindelar who's their starting quarterback. You didn't have Rondell Moore, who was your best player and your most dynamic player. Now, injuries happen, I get that, but Purdue's not at a stage in its program and a lot of a lot of teams are not at that stage where you you just have another Rondell Moore. You just have another Elijah Cindelar or another Marcus Bailey to plug in there and you don't lose anything. That Purdue's, Purdue's not at that level. And so they, they took a drop-off. Their defense took a hit. Their offense wasn't as productive as what maybe people thought it was going to be. So it's kind of getting back to the 4-8 record, it, it kinda, the 4-8 record kind of represents the kind of team that they had last year. You, you, you start playing players that didn't have a lot of experience, uh, a lot of rookies, a lot of true freshmen got in the game, and just guys that had not played enough grass to play significant roles, and four and eight is kind of where they should have ended
1: up. Hmm.
0: Well, you made some significant changes in the off season. Uh, the most notable to Husker fans is uh, hiring Bob Diaco as defensive coordinator. And I've been looking forward to talking to you about this ever since that announcement was made. Um, I'm, I'm a little disappointed that you don't have a full set of spring practices uh, to speak from, but what do you make of, of Bob?
2: Well, and I I know, I know when Bob was at Nebraska, um, he kind of stepped in it several times (laughs) and put himself in, you know, not in the best situation. Um, and I, you know, and it's, it's hard to say, well, the Bob Diaco at Nebraska is going to be the Bob Diaco at Purdue. Well, you know, until we, get into it we're not gonna we're not gonna know for sure The only thing I can tell you about Bob Diaco from our standpoint is we, we've interviewed him once um he, he's I would say a bit of a strange bird mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to comes <laughs> to this stuff now is this just his years of experience and he's not just not going to say anything or is he just normally protective like that um, it's it, you know it's hard to get any kind of information out of him but we also talked to him the second day of spring practice where he's just getting to know his guys so we were hoping by at least if they would have a normal training camp that we, we'd be able to have at least more conversations with him to to, to kind of open up his mind a little bit of what what he wants to see out of uh, purdue's defense but you know they are playing a bit of a three4 um, which seems to be his base defense but They'll tell you that they'll be versatile and go to a four-three, and and they they probably will. But I think 3-4 three, three, is going to be their their base defense. Um, but you know, beyond that, I, I don't have a lot of insight to share with you about Bob Diaco, other than what I've read, what I've seen. You know, he was at Notre Dame for an extended period of time, which you know is just up the road from Purdue. So you you know you you know the name, you have an idea of who he is. You know, he's a head coach at Connecticut, so. You, you, again, you know the name, but now that he's landed in our front yard, um, you know, you you, you do want to know, know a little bit more about him and, and how he operates. But uh, very energetic, as, as you guys know. Um, you know, he's very hands-on you know, on, on the practice field, at least in the time that we were able to see. Uh, but, you know, ultimately you're judged by the results. And there was a reason Jeff Brown made a change. He wanted something different. He wanted something more out of his defense. And and feels that uh, Diaco, along, they made some other changes on the defensive side as well that can, you know, bring the defense maybe back to the level they played at in 2017.
0: You know, I, th- I think a lot of a lot of factors went into his defensive failings here at Nebraska. It was only one season, and uh, things were not great uh, with that administration, with that coaching staff. It was. Uh, I'm I'm not sure anybody has really been open about how it happened, but it kind of the impression I've always got is that the athletic director told Riley he had to fire his buddy defensive coordinator. And then they brought in this totally different guy who I don't think fit with the system. The players were really bought in in the spring and the fall. Like everybody was really into it. um, And his just like verbal gymnastics really got old. Um, Lots of people... Anytime he gets mentioned on social media, you hear people talking about the strain. Did you see the strain? And uh, the there's no reasonable reason that our defense should have been successful in that game. Um, I think it's funny that you're talking about spring practice. His first spring, well, his only spring practice in Nebraska, uh, we'd heard all about the 3-4, but when the spring game came, he didn't even use the 3-4 because he didn't want to tip off opponents. Uh, right,
2: which I, I just think that is – short sighted
0: it's a it's one <laughs> one fifteenth of your spring practice and you're not you're not used well, to practicing and, and,
2: and to think that you're hiding something from anybody these days right is, is just wrong. I mean Nebraska already knows they've already studied up on Bob Diotto getting ready for the season opener. They did that the first day that he was hired at Purdue. They they know what his tendencies are. They they know all that by now. Yeah. So you're not really you know, it comes down to personnel. Absolutely. When, he, when you get right down to it, now will he have, will he have a different wrinkle here and there? Yes, all, all teams will, and they'll have different wrinkles as, as he gets throughout the season. But this, this constant paranoia coming from the college football world, from the coaches' side, is just really aggravating to me. I'm not saying you throw your playbook out there and take snapshots of it and put it on Twitter. Sure. But you, you. You know, at some point, you got to line up a play, and the other team knows what formation you're going to be in, and it's just a matter of somebody can block the guy that you want to make the tackle, or you know, can can stay on assignment. So it's just the, things like that bother me to a point, but that's the
0: culture of of college football in general. It's it's paranoia. You know, uh, on on the hiring of Diaco, I mean, he has been successful. With defenses, pretty much everywhere else, he's gone. So I think Nebraska's that stint. That stint in Nebraska is the outlier. Um, and didn't he? I'm trying to remember. Uh, did he? Was he the head coach at Connecticut when they played uh, a Scott Frost UCF team? Uh,
2: quite possibly. I think that's true. And I, and I, I don't know if that was the. I should have looked into that. I. I it was one of those Florida schools that he tried to create a a traveling trophy with yeah the conflict trophy. thing yeah yeah the conflict thing which I, I i think i read where the the other team didn't even bother to pick up the trophy because <laughs> it was such it was such a lame idea <laughs> and um you know i'll give him credit for trying but, sure uh, you know it, it didn't it didn't work and you know and, as you mentioned he, you know he was probably caught in a situation at nebraska which was the perfect storm against him mm-hmm. where we have all these things swirling around him you're in a, you know, you don't know where the support in administration is coming from. You don't know the status of everybody on, on the staff. And it's just, it's a, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing. And I can, you know, and that's something Nebraska fans won't forget. And they're, they're quick to make fun of him for. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just something that he has to live with. And I can tell you that if he didn't, uh, there, there was a member. Uh, There's a member on Jeff Brom's staff who's been with him ever since he came to Purdue. Anthony Poindexter, who worked for Diaco at UConn, and if uh, if Poindexter was not on uh, Jeff's staff here, Diaco probably doesn't get a look hmm. to get hired here. Hmm. So you know, Anthony is the code. He has a title of co-defensive code coordinator, but Diaco is the is the defensive coordinator. My point is, he has a connection here gotcha. that that can help. You know, maybe just help smooth things over. But you know, until you you know, we're all waiting. We were waiting to see you know the spring game to see how things would would operate a little bit. And now we're just kind of waiting for the season to start to see what uh, what 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 he
0: can do with with this defense. Well, uh, one more Diaco comment, then we can move on. I we have a a friend of the show who um, actually played at Iowa when Diaco was there, and also Bob Elliott was there. And I think a lot of people forget um, that Bob Elliott and Diaco had traveled together, um, including to Nebraska, and then, you know, sadly, tragically, uh, Bob Elliott died of cancer before the season started. And so uh, our friend Jeff, Jeff the Greek on Twitter, has, has said, speculated that Bob could really communicate, translate, Bob Elliott could really translate Bob Diaco in a way and you know kind of was that anchor for him and that when he lost bob uh, at nebraska that was kind of he had a really hard time recovering from that
2: and that you know that that could be so i mean that could be a, a part of uh, a part of the struggles they had there and you know and as as we all know the the light shines brighter at nebraska and when you lose games the way they lost games during that tenure you know it just yeah. it just ramps up and you, you get to a point and as someone that has followed from a distance Nebraska football for a long time it just you know it just becomes it <laughs> it just becomes you know it's the pressure cooker it uh-huh. just that just blows its top yeah and you just you know you just get to a point of, of, of no return It doesn't matter what you do or what you say I mean his team's probably at the end of that uh tenure. His teams probably could have allowed a field goal in one game, but there would have been criticisms how that team got that field goal. <laughs> They're mm. just, you're just not going to find anything good. Mm-hmm. Most fans are just you know similar to the Darrell Hazel era at Purdue. It was four, for fans, it was four years of hell, <laughs> and it wow. was just it was just it was bad football. It was bad football management, um, and you can't find anybody that will say anything nice about the Darryl Hazel era hmm. of football. Now, Darryl's a great guy and a nice guy, and he's great to talk to, but from a football standpoint, you'll, you can't find a Purdue fan that will ever have anything positive to say about that four-year stretch.
0: Is is Purdue trans- transitioning from a 4-3 to a
2: 3-4? Well, we think so. Uh, we think that the, the, the base defense will be a 3-4.
0: Okay, but, so, but you uh, were a 4-3, I guess is... Yeah, they played a four-three
2: last year. Gotcha. Uh, under Nick Holt, and uh, I and I'm, I'm just curious how the three-four works because of some of Purdue's personnel. They've had to take a defensive end who used to be a linebacker, and they moved him to linebacker. Uh, and then how how is he going to work a, as a linebacker now? And then one of their one of their better players on defense, George Karloftis, a defensive end, uh, in a is his skills or is his ability to rush the quarterback in any way diminished by being in a three, four, as opposed to a four, three. That's something we're not going to know until we get into the season to get a look at what his responsibilities are uh, and whether he can still uh, bring the kind of pressure he brought toward the end of last year.
0: So, so noting that there's some major changes going on in the off season, um, what are some, uh, I guess normally I'd be asking, coming out of spring practice, what are the strengths and weaknesses of this team? But um, w- without spring practice really to go from, what do you see as the strengths and weaknesses of this team right now?
2: Well, you know, we'll stay with the defensive side. Again, uh, you know, we don't know exactly. the. You know, I can only talk about really personnel at this point uh, because they didn't get a full spring practice session in. They only They did get eight practices in, which I think is one of the, the highest numbers in the Big Ten and maybe the country, uh, as far as number of practices that they that Purdue was able to get in, but it's just kind of better to talk personnel and what you're seeing and how they might fit. And talked about George Karloftis, you know he'll still be at a defensive end spot. That, that's definitely a strength. You know, one the one major question on defense would be Lorenzo Neal, who, who didn't play last year. He had torn his ACL at the end of the 2018 season against Indiana. Didn't play in the bowl game and then didn't play last year, even though all science pointed to him playing. He didn't play. He tried to practice at the end of last year, suffered another injury. We we never were told exactly what that injury was. We can only guess and assume that it had something to do with his knee, but again, we're not completely sure. But anyway, he had to have some sort of procedure again. If he can come back healthy and be the nose guard uh, in that 3-4, I think that. He's an NFL-caliber player, uh, in my opinion, and uh, I think the, the draft people looking at next year would, would agree with that. And then they have que- they have question marks at the other defensive end spot. You know, the, the, the strange part of going to 3-4 for Purdue was they just don't have the depth at linebacker to do that. I mean, it was hard for them last year to have four linebackers in a 4-3. Uh, and now you're asking to have four linebackers in a 3-4 they did go out and get a junior college player who's who's going to who's going to be a linebacker and move around a little bit, along with uh, Derek Barnes, who moved from defensive end. So they've tried to shore up the linebacker room with a little bit more depth, but that's still kind of a that's still going to be a question mark.
0: I feel like that that has been an ongoing topic of conversation for Nebraska <laughs> since Diaco was here. I feel like we're still. Have struggled to find those outside guys from the transition. Sorry to interrupt.
2: No, that's fine. But that's you know, I think most most programs deal with linebacker depth and produce just right there with them. Where I think you know they they they're dealing with the depth so much that they've kind of moved to safety. Like Jalen Graham, who played safety in nickel last year, down to an outside linebacker position to give them a talented player at that spot, but also kind of give them some depth. And then the secondary uh, they've had one one of their starters has entered the transfer portal Kenneth major uh, so he won't be with the program uh, next or this coming season um, and they're supposed to get a junior college transfer Giovanni Howard who did not get on campus for spring but is expected here for for the summer and he would be earmarked for one of the starting cornerback spots along with Corey Trice uh, who did play? Uh, who got moved to cornerback late in camp last year, and then came up with some interceptions throughout the year. Big, tall, lanky kid uh, has a lot of size to him, a lot of that raw athletic ability, would seem to be the perfect prototype for a cornerback. But he still got some some ways to go. And they got some safety issues that they've got to they've got to figure out. They should get Marvin Grant, who who was a true freshman last year, got hurt early in the season he's expected to play and they're, they're, they're going to get a grad transfer from Connecticut. Um, uh, uh, Tyler, uh, Tyler Coyle, who is who's going to come in and obviously grad transfers come in for one reason and that's the play. Mm-hmm. And I, I would expect uh, him to be a major part of the secondary uh, uh, as they, as they get going. So, I mean, they have the same issues as a lot of other teams or you know, getting enough depth but getting enough front line guys to, to be effective you know offensively uh, there will be a quarterback battle uh, Jack Plummer would be the uh, presumed number one right now but they've also they picked up a graduate transfer from UCLA Austin Burton uh, who started one game at UCLA in his career that was last year about two years of eligibility left he's probably more of a, a dual threat type quarterback who can run but running's not his strength. I mean, he, can, he can factor that into his game, and Jeff Brown has kind of been looking for more quarterbacks like that in the recruiting process. Uh, but Burton's going to come in and compete with uh, Jack Plummer and then Aiden O'Connell uh, for the starting spot uh, when that gets settled. I, I would, Whenever the first game is, I think that's, that's when that gets settled. Okay. I, don't th- I don't think we'll know anything before, before that. Uh, you know, Purdue's going to add a graduate transfer on the offensive line. Greg Long, uh, who is a uh, grad transfer from uh, El Paso, UTEP, uh, should be should come in and play a right tackle. Big, really big kid. Um, and then Purdue's got a lot of their offensive line them back uh, from last year, but they still they still as a group need to take a step forward, and that, that's probably the major concern on offense receiving you know Purdue, Purdue might have one of the deepest receiving groups in the big time you can you know Rondell Moore David Bell uh, you, you've got some other guys that got some playing time last year Milton Wright um, and then they've added some freshmen some newcomers uh, into that mix where uh, they, they're gonna have um, they're gonna have a rotating group there I think that um, that first of all helps them Survive any kind of injuries that they might they might suffer this year, but also gives them a lot of depth there to do some different things. The running back spot, you know, King Guru, uh was their main ball carrier as he got in the second half of the season last year. He was a true freshman last year, led him in rushing. Uh, I would expect him to to be the number one guy, but they've they've got a couple other guys there that will that will get some snaps as well. Tight end, they got to replace Bryson Hopkins, who was a fourth round pick by the Rams. Uh, they've got a couple kids, Garrett Miller and Payne Durham, who I think will will step into that role. Uh, I think I went through about every player or every position.
0: Yeah, so I feel like two. <laughs> thank you. Two, two years ago, you, you told us about Rondell Moore uh, before I heard about him anywhere else, and then last year you mentioned David Bell. Is the, is there the who's the next
2: one? <laughs> well, uh, if they have a next one, that means David Bell and Rondell Moore didn't play and that would be a bad
0: thing for purdue <laughs> so i think they're uh, is there no a, no slot receiver <laughs> or that uh, could they do, they, yeah i mean they, they do have
2: guys coming in uh tj sheffield is a, is a is a guy they were expecting to play last year actually made the the travel roster uh for the first game at nevada uh and i think he played one snap but then ended up getting injured so he was he was done for the year what I was going to say is they've had a freshman lead them in receiving in Jeff Brom's first three years. Wow. You, know, you go to Jackson Anthrop the first year, and then Rondell Moore, and then, and then David Bell. Scary. Um, yeah, uh, they've they picked up a couple of good freshman receivers, but I, I just don't think they're going to get the number of snaps that Moore and Bell got in their first year okay. to, to really be effective. And the only way they get those snaps is if, if, if there's an injury. Gotcha. gotcha. So, so I, I don't think I think the string of freshmen leading the team and receiving uh, will end this year for Purdue, and if it if it doesn't end, that's not a good sign.
0: Yeah. So your 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 crystal ball is a little cloudy on this issue for a variety of circumstances. It makes sense.
2: Well, I, you know, I think they have enough returning talent from the playmaking standpoint that
1: they don't need to lean on on freshmen right now. Uh, that's a good thing
2: yeah it should be a good thing but we'll see how that all shakes out
0: so thanks for walking us through those positions um now acknowledging that it's may mid-may when we're talking and who knows what the fall looks like just you know assuming that the the huskers and the boilermakers do meet up in lincoln on september 5th um and and the season goes on as as planned what what kind of expectations do you think this team can have for the fall
2: you know, I think they have. I think they have high expectations. They should have, but the first the first month of the season is pretty brutal for them. So getting off to a good start with a game at at Lincoln, I, I think is 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 imperative for them. Uh, and then when you, you know, for 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 them, like every team, they have a lot of questions right now. But when you bring in a graduate transfer quarterback. That kind of opens up more questions sure. that you didn't that you didn't think you had a month ago. <laughs> Excuse me. So, you know they they've got to figure out who their quarterback is going to be number one. And if it's Jack Plumber, he's capable of leading the offense, which he did prove last year. But again, you bring in a grad transfer for a reason. think grad transfers usually go someplace for a reason, and that's that's the play early and to, and to see some early. See some early action, but you know I think it's a game. At least what we know today, that Purdue Purdue can't match up with Nebraska. They have they've done that in the past. I I think they're you know I think they're past the point of uh, you know if if there was any intimidation by the name of Nebraska, I think Purdue is past that. I I think they they feel confident playing against that Nebraska team because they have they have beaten them and they've competed with them. Over the over the last you know couple years,
0: yeah, we've had uh, some weird matchups you know, versus Purdue. Yeah, there's been some strange so, games. So I think you know, I think Purdue goes in with a, an air of
2: confidence about them that that they you know they should be able to put up some points. Um, it's just a matter of can you can you make enough stops on the defensive side? Can you you know do all the things you need to do to to win a game. And then, you know, to me, it's still, you know, who's going to be your quarterback at that point, and you know, how do some of the newcomers, because they did have uh, eight or nine freshmen show up in spring practice, who enrolled early, uh, looking to, uh, looking for some, you know, to get on the field as early as possible. So you you could see some newcomers outside of the receiver position (laughs) being true freshmen. You know, might see some action for Purdue, but it you know I, it's a it's a game that you know it, it should be one of the better games of the of the first weekend yeah definitely and, and i was surprised that the game stayed on saturday it ha, or it has remained on that saturday i thought it i thought it had a chance to get moved to a thursday or hmm. a thursday night type of game uh, but i know nebraska you know they they pretty much they want all their games on saturday and i get that uh, but as these fr- Thursday and Friday night games kind of circulate through the Big Ten, uh, you know, I think
0: um, schools are being asked to kind of take their turn, yeah, type of thing. When uh, so, when Bo was here and we were still in the Big Twelve, there was a series of Thursday night games that we did where mm-hmm. it, it worked out nicely because one, they were never at Memorial Stadium, so we still got our revenue Saturdays. So they were. I'm thinking of I think the Missouri game where where Sue. Brooke Blaine Gabbert's ankle um is one where they would they would have the bye week beforehand and then you'd have the game on Thursday at the away team and then you would you know have an extended week so so we've done them a few the Nebraska historically has done them a few times but they had to really fit precisely I don't I'm not sure you know, it's, everybody's different now in the administration so I have no idea what the openness is to that but uh yeah that it would be interesting to see if, if that does move from Saturday.
2: Well, I think if it, if it was going to move, it would already have been moved by now. Because I do know that they moved the, uh, I think it was the Indiana Wisconsin game to a Friday night. Okay. And I think there's I think there's another Big Ten game scheduled for the first weekend. I want to say Michigan State and Northwestern. Uh, but I I thought that Purdue Nebraska would kind of would be a game, you know, based on Nebraska's appeal. And it's you know television appeal and it's national appeal. You you could you could slide that to a, a Thursday night type of a game. And you know in what in what Purdue has coming back with Rondell Moore and David Bell, you know they're they're attractive from from that standpoint as far as you know kind of a high octane type of offense. Uh, but I, I was just I was surprised that the game has remained on Saturday because I just thought yeah. it'd get moved.
0: Well, it's an interesting first third of the season for Purdue. You come here to to Lincoln, then you host Memphis and Air Air Force and go to Boston College for crossovers this year. It looks like we've got Rutgers, uh, Michigan, or excuse me, no, you guys are in the east. I I always feel like, no, you're in the west. Excuse me. Rutgers, Michigan, and uh, Indiana is a permanent crossover, right? Correct. So you host Rutgers at Illinois, at Michigan, host Northwestern, at Minnesota, host Wisconsin host Iowa and at Indiana, so quite quite yeah, the
2: slate. Yeah, yeah, they've you know they got Memphis and Air Force after Nebraska, which you know Memphis although ha- has a new coach, I believe their their quarterback who set some records last year is back. You've got Air Force, which is a very hard opponent to prepare for prepare for in a week because of how they run their offense. And you, know, you got to go on the road to a Power Five school at Boston College, and then you're back in you're back in the Big Ten play. I mean that's why I mentioned earlier, Purdue has to get off to a good start.
0: Yeah. That, that having that conference game, the first game of the season is a real stressor and it really, for whoever loses, it just casts this pall over the season that, um, you know, I got a hole to dig out of. I mean, it's not just a conference foe, it's a division foe. So it's a, it's a really important game. Right. But
2: there's a reason why those games are there because they are appealing for TV and, uh, they should be some of your better matchups of, Uh, Of the season, and you know when the Big Ten signed its lucrative TV deal. This is what TV wanted; they wanted more early season appealing matchups for them.
0: TV does TV does call a lot of (laughs) shots here. Um, Hey, just to wind it down here, um, I'm curious what your take is on uh, the 2020 Huskers. I know you're not a Huskers beat reporter, but (laughs) you certainly have written about them in the past, uh, at least once a year.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's. uh, I think people kind of keep waiting for um, the program to have uh, a level of sustained success, and I'm not talking about championship, national championship level success. Even though I know that's part of their history, um, I think they're. I think you, I think people are looking for just maybe a higher level of consistency uh, from this program. From not only season to season, but as you get into week to week, the you know the, the highs and lows and the ups and downs are a little bit too too wide, I think for for people right now. But you're also in a process of still kind of cleansing the program from the past and sure. putting putting in what what needs to be done now. And this is a different uh, era of college football and a different uh, different way of doing things and. You know, Nebraska has, plays a tough schedule, uh, just like all the Big Ten teams do, but they probably get hit a little bit more because of their national appeal, and people want to see them play Michigan and Ohio State more often than they want to see Purdue play Ohio State and Michigan. Sure. So you, you get you get involved in that, and you know I, I just you know I, this this probably needs to be a year where you you limit. Or eliminate, you know, kind of the blowout losses. Yeah, you're not. Yeah, you, know, you just you just need to move. You just need to move closer to being competitive every single week against whomever you're playing. And I think that's, I think that's the step the fan base probably is is waiting to see. Um, and I think if they do that, that you know, obviously it moves them closer to. Challenging for the West on on an annual basis and staying in the West conversation a little
0: bit longer than what they have been the the last couple years. Yeah, and it's it's a tough time to try and do these things. I mean, the West is getting better. The you know Purdue did have a four and eight season, but I mean, Brahms the real deal, and he's getting players. And um, you look up and down the list. PJ Fleck is not backing down. Iowa's recruiting is. as good as it's ever been, Wisconsin continues to achieve at a high level, and Northwestern had an abysmal season last year, but the year before that they won the division. And you know, even Illinois has become this kind of transfer U. Um, who knows how that works out for them? So there's no, there's no easy out right now in the West. No,
2: there's not. Um, I guess you could, you know, debate whether are you still better off in the West or is the east is the east a better place to be? I would take the West in a heartbeat. Because I think teams are more closer together in the West. They're more there's not Ohio the State which seems to be far and heads above most everybody else in a lot of different areas. But then you still have to figure out a way to beat Michigan. You still gotta figure out a way to beat Penn State. You know, Greg Schiano at Rutgers um, they won't be they won't be the laughing stock they've been. Right. Doesn't mean doesn't mean they're gonna crawl into the top of the east, but they're not going to be as easy as an out that they that they've been in the past. Indiana's making strides, and not enough to win the East, but they're they're making strides enough to to be competitive on that side. But I, I mean, I, I really like the West the way it's constructed, uh, and the way that uh, the the programs are. You know, you can you know you can pick Wisconsin to win it, which is not a surprise, but the number two team you pick is not that far behind. Yeah. And then the number three team you pick is not that far behind the number two, all the way down to the seventh, where one through, you know, the seventh team that you would pick in the league is really not not completely out of the picture of from the from the top team that you picked because they, they, we've seen it. Illinois beat Wisconsin last year. And, uh, so I do like where the West is at and where where it's going. I think it's going to be a uh, competitive another competitive year in the
0: west speaking you mentioned indiana we both did um man last year after nebraska lost to them they were so whiny (laughs) 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 are they always like that or was that just like a weird situation
2: it's 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 really first of all any you know any I'm not, and I'm not a Purdue fan. But any Purdue fan that talks about how you would use the same language, regardless of really, of, because it's a rival, it's the in-state rival, so they're never going to sure give them.
0: But we're not. We don't. I don't care about Indiana. I was just really struck by how small their their admin, their athletic director and head coach and fan base came across after that.
2: Yeah, I remember. I don't remember all the details of that. I remember reading about it about what happened. Um, it's just, yeah, I I don't know. You know, not covering that program on a yeah, daily okay. basis, it's hard hard for me to say. Um, and I, I'm sure a lot of that was just caught up in the moment, okay. type of thing, where you go to Memorial Stadium and win, and for an Indiana program, you know, similar to Purdue. Yeah, you know, Purdue would go. Not that they would do the same things IU did, but it's it's a big moment for the program, and it's unfortunate that you know that probably clouded over the big moment. But it was a big moment for IU's program to go in there and win the way they
0: did. Oh man, I'm tired of providing big moments. I'm ready to <laughs> ready to have some moments of our own. All right, hey Mike, it's it's been really great talking to you. Appreciate you taking the time, and uh, I guess we'll we'll plan on ch- on chatting next summer.
2: Well, that would be that would be a good sign for everybody. If that that was the case, that means a college football is back, and, and b that. We're all still employed. <laughs>
0: that, would be a, that would be a great thing. I really hope that's the case. All right, Mike, you have a great day. All right, well, thanks for having me. Thank you.
1: Thanks again to Mr. Carmen for joining us on the podcast. You can check him out on Twitter at Carmen underscore JC or head on over to the Journal and Couriers website, which is jconline.com slash Purdue to read all the content related to Purdue football.
0: Mike knows what's up. Mike Carmen knows what's up. Sorry, I don't wanna.
1: Falsely. Yeah, I mean, like I know what's up in terms of connecting with Mike Carmen. Who knows what's up?
0: Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I was uh I was reading an article uh, on the Journal Star just yesterday. They uh, they opened up the Haymarket farmers market here oh, in Lincoln. Wow. Yeah, for the, for the first time, I think. maybe a week or two late, but um, they're doing it. And lo and behold, our friend Kendra from central Nebraska Buffalo was quoted. So they are there. They're definitely going to be there this coming Saturday, which is May 23rd. And then she said the first Saturday in June, which is June 6th. So um, you can still order online at cmbuffalo.com, but you can also go see Kendra in person and say, Hey, I've heard all about you on the Husker football fan podcast and Get some, get some bison. Save on the shipping and handling if you live here in Lincoln.
1: There you go. So that's awesome just to hear that they're able to find uh, just another outlet in the midst of all of this craziness. Again, uh, I, I know that we're kind of beating the same drum every time we record here, but that's a, a good way to support a local business and uh, you know have a consistent source of good, nutritious meat for your fam. So there you go, folks
0: flavorful too
1: and speaking of local and trusted uh i also want to commend mr monty rhodi so monty sent us a note this past week that said uh the average days on the market for an existing home uh in lincoln this past month was only about 28 days which is actually very very short
0: that surprised me i it was counterintuitive to me i would have thought nobody was buying or selling so it's it's good to know that as uh, fast as things have been moving in the last few years, like it's still happening. I mean, and this is a prime buying time. So, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and so so for anybody who thinks that maybe you have the leisure of time when you're browsing online listings or something like that, uh, maybe maybe not. You know, just just because you personally might have slowed things down, it doesn't mean that the the rest of the world is uh, is slowing down or waiting for you when it comes to buying a home or you know the 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 place you might want for yourself might only be available for a couple weeks so you need somebody to guide you through that process quickly that
0: 28 day number i'm sure is a balance between the like really great houses that sell within days and Mm -hmm. the the stinkers that kind of are on there for 100 plus right (laughs) that's i mean that's that's yeah it's a good point you're making i guess is what i'm trying to say
1: Yeah, so this harkens back to what we were saying last week. Just start the conversation now. Reach out to Monty. Uh, His email address, again, is monty.rohde, that's M-O-N-T-Y dot R-O-H-D-E at prglincoln.com. And one more time, his phone number is 402-770-3356.
0: So last week, we did something kind of fun. We've never done this before. We said, hey, if you uh, if you made it through this hour and forty five minute show, you <laughs> should you should tweet at us, hashtag spicy just to let us know. And I don't know what your expectation was, Mike. I didn't think anybody would.
1: I thought that we'd get like two or three. That's what I thought.
0: And those two or three are like related to us. Is kind of what you're thinking.
1: No, I I, I actually uh, you know, I, I know I do have some family members that listen, but I haven't been keeping tabs on them, whether they're not, whether or not they're listening lately. I know football isn't the first thing on everybody's mind right now. It's true. Well,
0: we actually had 14 people and now we're recording this Sunday evening. So if you tweeted at us, uh, Monday, uh, we missed it. We're sorry. But as of nine 50, uh, central time Sunday <laughs> evening, Uh, We had 14 people. Yeah, so here is the list of hashtag spicy
1: listeners. Uh, Jeffrey the Greek. We got BK underscore TSM. Marilyn Swanson on Facebook. That's a familiar name. Uh, Walt M. at Every Dog His Day or Every Dogie's Day, uh, possibly.
0: Yeah, it's hard to to be sure. Mm Mm-hmm. At sidelines underscore Nebraska, which is a, a pretty fun uh, fan account that we've enjoyed following recently.
1: Josh at J Horton four hundred two, a longtime follower. Mm-hmm. At Boatwagon one. Then we got Nate in Lincoln or LNK at Nate Otten,
0: another longtime listener interactor. Mm-hmm. Tyler T Hall at Shrine Drummer fifty four.
1: Brett Clusaw at Husker BK eighty one. He's also somebody who interacts with us quite a bit on Twitter.
0: Yep. Tyler Jensen at 32 underscore Jensen.
1: Spud at
0: 208 Skurs. I asked, and 208 is his Idaho area code. That's where he Oh, interesting. Is from, so, thus the Spud, yeah. Uh, Swan
1: at Swan888. And then Jeremy Talcott at Jeremy Talcott. <laughs> <laughs> Or possibly Talcott. That's actually, that's actually one that I don't know. I would say Talcott first try.
0: Or wait, I'm trying to think of how you do this joke. Or Jera, my Talcott.
1: Jeremy, Jeremy Talcott.
0: Oh well, there you go. You're I get it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That, that was fun. I, that's it was awesome. really fun. Yeah, fun to keep this list as, uh especially through the weekend. I try not to be on on my phone quite as much since I'm with my family more, and so. Uh, every time I checked in, I was like, ah, there's somebody else to add to the list. It's great. Uh, is there any Husker news we should talk about in the last 30 seconds? I think we got a transfer kicker from LSU. I feel like we went from having negative six kickers to like 12 kickers. <laughs> I don't know that anybody who kicked the ball last year is on the team anymore. Wow. Wow. Actually, we should look that up. <laughs> there was, no, I, th- no, I th- heard Sam McEwen say it on his last Pick 6 podcast. I think what he said was, uh, the one guy who was a safety, the one I think it was the one who transferred from Air Force, and they're like, hey, you know how to kick. Can you kick? And he's like, I don't want to, but okay. Um, so he's still on the team, but he's not kicking. Sure. He's back to defensive back, and mm-hmm. the other five guys are gone.
1: Okay, Including wow. Barrett
0: Pickering, who retired one or two club soccer guys. Uh, there was like a UNK transfer or something. Yeah,
1: so. You know what's interesting? New is- year, new you. I, I'm going through my old piles of like DVDs, and uh, some people might find this blasphemous, but I'm removing the discs and throwing them into a binder and just recycling the boxes. Um, you know what I found today? Speaking of a ragtag group of people playing football, you remember the movie Little Giants? Did you ever watch that movie?
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: Ah, Rick Moranis' last great work. Before he just like quit, right? He yeah, just quit. It's crazy. That's a great movie. I think that movie is right up there with the sandlot in terms of its humor. I mean it's it's not the sandlot, let's be honest. But you know, if you if you've watched the sandlot for like three weeks in a row and you're like, Alright, I gotta change it up, Little Giants works. Sure. Yeah. Probably end up watching it at some point this summer. But you gotta do the sandlot around fourth of July. That's just the way it works.
0: I'm out of things to say, Mike.
1: Okay. Justin, you're kind of rocking the uh, quarantine hair and beard. Kind of got a Chris Pratt meets John Mark McMillan vibe.
0: I'm afraid it's going to become a professional liability, but I'm like the frog in the boiling water where, like, I don't notice. But if I'm asking that question, it (laughs) (laughs) means I probably know. Just
1: just, uh, wet your hair and pull it to the side the next time you got to get on a call for business yeah
0: yeah it's uh no anytime i talk to someone for work who i haven't talked to for a little while like it's it's the conversation topic for a while so
1: maybe that's a sign
0: i'm gonna say go big red
1: go big red